I love the lyrics to that song. No other king would stand the mockery. No other king would be led to slaughter and refuse to speak, take up a cross and choose to die with thieves, take up a cross and give his life for me. We wanted to start our service with that song and we actually wanted to start our service with the Easter story a couple days ago, two days ago, right here on the same field. We celebrated Good Friday, and it was a beautiful night looking at the final scenes of Jesus' life leading up to the Good Friday crucifixion, and it was, a, it was a beautiful journey. And today, before we sing more songs, which we're going to sing a bunch more songs, we wanted to pick the story right back up where we left off. And I want to tell you the Easter story. And listen, I'm aware that you have kids sitting next to you, many of you, and so I don't want you to worry. Uh, it's not only okay if they make noise and act up, it's the plan. So you don't have to feel guilty. Just let kids be kids. It's fine. But I want to tell everyone here in the field today, I want to tell you the Easter story and not just kind of casually tell the Easter story. I want to dig into it just for a few minutes today because, as we'll see, when it comes to Christianity, the Easter story is the epicenter. It's the bullseye. It's the thing upon which everything else hangs. And my hope is that as I tell the Easter story today, like if you are a Jesus follower, my hope is that it will deepen your confidence in Jesus as your savior and that it'll stir you to believe and trust and follow him more than ever before. But if you're not a Christian or you're skeptical, or you're wondering, or you're not sure where you stand my hope is that as I read and tell you the Easter story, that it will arm you with information and maybe even give you a clear roadmap as you consider Jesus. So what I want to do is I want to take us back to that moment. I want to take us back to that moment in time right after the crucifixion on Saturday when there was no church, there was no Bible, and there were no Christians. Just a couple dozen Galilean men and women who were overwhelmed with sorrow and fear and confusion because their leaders had conspired with Rome to crucify the greatest person they'd ever met. Someone who wasn't supposed to die, the Messiah, God's final king. And it was so shocking because just days earlier when he had arrived in Jerusalem, he was welcomed as a king. We call it the triumphal entry. But then now, in less than 24 hours, he'd been arrested, convicted, and crucified. I mean, they were on the verge of winning. Everything happening that they'd been believing was going to happen, and then suddenly and shockingly, it was over. And it ended ugly. It ended horrifically. It ended publicly. Now, usually victims of crucifixion, they weren't buried. They were just kind of left to the elements. And that was what was normal. But in this case... Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they go to Pilate, the Roman governor, and they ask for Jesus' body. And they take his body and they place it in a renovated cave. It was a family burial plot. And they prepare his body with linens and with spices and they place it in the tomb. And the plan was to seal the tomb. Nick and Joseph had believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that, but clearly they were wrong. But after all, he was still a good man, so he didn't deserve a criminal's fate. And so they did what they could, and then they left the tomb. 
Meanwhile, 1,500 miles away in the city of Rome, Emperor Tiberius Caesar has no idea that any of this is happening, but his provincial governor, Pilate, is relieved. Somewhere in the region of Judea, Saul of Tarsus, the, who would become the persecutor of Christians, named Paul later, he was probably celebrating. In the city of Jerusalem, the disciples are shell-shocked. Most of them flee the city. Peter, James, and John, they remain, but they're huddled together in a house in fear, wondering, what's next? Where do we go? Do we go back to fishing? Across town, a group of women who followed Jesus had gathered together, and all of them, including Mary, are utterly devastated. But they collect themselves, and they numbly begin planning to finish the burial rite as soon as the Sabbath is over. And that, my friends, is what you have, what you find on Saturday. Confused citizens, frightened ex-disciples, heartbroken women, and a happy empire. But one thing you can't find anywhere are Christians, believers. No one believed that Jesus was a savior. After all, he couldn't or wouldn't save himself, and certainly nobody believed any longer that he was a king. And so nobody was trying to keep the dream alive. Let's keep the movement going. Why bother? It's over. And that was that. It was a terrible ending to a really good story. It was a tragic ending to a really good run. And that's what you find on Saturday. Now, chances are some of you in the audience, maybe you can identify. Maybe you can identify with those unbelievers. I know that I, I can there was a time in my life when I found myself in that position when I was wondering or saying to myself, man, why bother? Why bother with Jesus? Why bother with Christianity? Why bother with the Bible? I'm, I'm not sure it's true. I'm not sure it's even real. That's not where I started. I had amazing parents. They're here today, my kids. Hi, guys. Grew up in a great church, and I believed in Jesus. But I, I got to that point in my life where I think all of us get, where, you know, you have to make your faith your own. And at that point in my life, for one reason or another, my faith just stopped making sense to me. And I was like, man, I kind of think I believe this just because my parents do. But I need some evidence. If I'm going to build my life around this, I need some evidence. And until I do, I'm, I'm not going to believe this. And I defollowed privately in my head. And if that's you, if you identify with that, if you've never believed in Jesus or you used to believe in Jesus or you kind of believe in Jesus right now, but maybe you're sort of on the way out, I just want you to know that you are among friends here and you can still belong to this church family if you want to. We will proudly take you, proudly claim you. And I just wanted you to know that as I tell this story, my goal isn't to prove you wrong. My goal is simply to point you in a particular direction as you consider Jesus. Because one of the often overlooked facts about Jesus is that the centerpiece of his ministry was not his teaching. I mean, after all, his teachings were kind of inconvenient and offensive. I mean, it was like, pay your taxes and pray for your enemies. And if you lust after someone, it's like committing adultery. I'm sorry, what? Uh, <laughs> turn the other cheek, forgive somebody, even if they don't ask for it. I mean, those were his kinds of teachings. They weren't things you built a movement around, and they certainly weren't the centerpiece of Jesus. Jesus didn't come just to rally people around an ethic or a collection of insights and short stories. He didn't ask people to trust in his ideas. He asked people to trust in him. 
That's why he came. That's what he built his whole movement around, himself. And that's what got him in trouble, by the way. Did you know that? What got Jesus in trouble? It wasn't his insights and ideas that got him crucified. It was who he claimed to be, a king, greater than Moses, greater than the prophets, greater than the temple. Peter and the boys didn't follow Jesus because of what he taught. They followed Jesus because of who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Holy One of God, the King of Kings. But clearly they were wrong because the Messiah can't die. And when Jesus died, his movement died with him. And that's how the disciples described themselves in their accounts. Have you ever noticed this? It's crazy. The disciples write themselves into the story as unbelievers, as unfollowers. How crazy is that? I mean, think about that for a second. If they were just making this up or someone had written it later, you would never write them in this way. But they are because that's what happened. When Jesus died, everybody expected him to stay dead. Nick and Joe prepared his body to stay dead. The women got up before dark and went to the tomb to reprepare his body to stay dead. And on Easter morning, there was no one like waiting there in the garden outside the tomb, counting down 10, 9, 8, hallelujah chorus, let's go, hallelujah, you know, louder. Nobody was even there. (laughs) Nobody was even there. So when you go back to this point in time, the day after the crucifixion, that's what you find. You find deconverted disciples, brokenhearted women, and a relieved Roman governor and temple authority. Hey, the radical rabbi's been silenced. The uprising has been averted. You find all of those things, but the one thing you don't find are Christians. No Christians, just an empire that had won. Now, fast forward 300 and 50 years. Fast forward 350 years to February 27th, 380 AD, when Roman Emperor Theodosius I issued the Edict of Thessalonica, making Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. Ending state support for pagan priesthood, the pantheon of gods like Zeus, Apollo, and Mars. 380 AD. To which we should respond, I'm sorry, what? Wait, 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 you you mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that Rome crucified the, the, the leading figure of a Judean cult with the help of his own people, and then the same Rome decided that this Galilean rabbi was a god? And not just a God that he replaced the entire pantheon of all the Roman gods. Jesus wasn't even a Roman. He never even stepped foot in the city, much less the country of Italy. What in the world is going on? That was 380 AD. Fast forward to today. There isn't even a Roman empire in existence. There is a city of Rome, but what is it today in the city of Rome that dots the landscapes and the monuments and the buildings and the streets of Rome? Crosses, everywhere, 
crosses. Sim- not symbolizing crucifixion, symbolizing a crucifixion. The cross has no longer, has become no longer a symbol of, of death and humiliation. It is a representation of hope. It's now a representation of salvation. It's now a representation of love today in Rome. 1,500 miles about from Rome in the city of Jerusalem today, there will be hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people right now in Jerusalem who've shown up from all around the world hoping to walk in the footsteps of a crucified Galilean rabbi. And this is where I want us to lean in for just a minute today. Before we continue singing and before we celebrate, I just want you to lean in because if that's all you knew, if that is, is all you knew, Rome crucified a rabbi. Then Rome considers that rabbi to be God. And today, millions, I mean, millions upon millions of people also consider him divine and gather weekly to celebrate and follow him. If that's all that you knew, and by the way, everything I've just said is historically undisputed. That's just history. And if that's all you knew, what's the question that it begs asking? Yeah, it's what happened. I mean, what in the world happened? Something extraordinary must have happened for all of that to take place. I mean, there's got to be more to the story. Without more to the story, the story doesn't make sense. Without more to the story, we shouldn't even know the story. We shouldn't even know that it exists. There's got to be more to the story. And as you know, there is. And it's this more, that's why we're here today sitting in a field. It's what happened that is why we're here today. And Matthew and Peter and Luke and John and James and Paul, they tell us what happened. They tell us what that more was. Here's John's version. In early on Sunday morning, following Passover, he writes, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, this John, the one that Jesus loved. And he said, She said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where we put him. Worse, they didn't even know who they would be at this point. Immediately, their assumption was that a third party was involved. Somebody or some bodies, they have taken the body. Nobody assumed a miracle. Nobody assumed a resurrection. Uh, And don't miss that. Don't miss this. This would be a great opportunity for them to write themselves into the story as like the diehard heroes. They're like, I knew it. I knew it, but they don't because they weren't. Luke chimes in here and he says, but the men did not believe the women because the words seemed like nonsense. And so Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Uh, Evidence they're willing to write themselves into the story looking favorably. This is John saying, and yeah, I mean, I was faster. Peter was slow. (laughs) But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb. That's John talking about himself. Uh, He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside and he saw and he believed. And that's the more. That's the more to the story. The disciples went looking for a body or for grave robbers, grave robbers, and instead they found an empty tomb. The women, they get up before dark, and while they're on the way to bury a body, they run into the person whom they are on the way to bury. 
And that would be the first of many appearances of Jesus that week. He would soon appear to his followers and his friends in the city of Jerusalem, first to Peter and then the disciples, and then to over 500 people at once. And you know what the result was? They instantly re-engaged with his message and mission. Instantly, these same people that I was just describing on Saturday, instantly they turn around and re-engage with his message and mission. Instantly, but, 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 but here's what's crucial. They didn't re-engage because of what he taught. They didn't re-engage simply because of what they believed. They re-engaged because of what happened. They re-engaged because of what they saw. They re-engaged because of who they saw. Jesus risen from the dead. Proving that he was in fact who he said he was. He was the Messiah, God's final king. A savior king who had come to die for his subjects rather than requiring that they die for him. My friends, the resurrection of Jesus is not just a Bible story. It's the greatest story in all of human history. And it's a story that intersects with your story and with my story. And I just want you to know, hey, if you're a Christian in the field today, you're a Jesus follower, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Your faith, my faith, our faith doesn't hang simply on a teaching or a feeling or a philosophy. No, it is founded in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that stands in history as evidence that God is real, that he loves you, that he has a plan for you, and that his plan has been delivered to you through a rabbi who turned out to be the son of God. The resurrection is the foundation of our faith. If you're a Jesus follower, though, the resurrection is also the fuel of our worship. It's why we sing songs. Like, we're about to sing a bunch of songs. It's why we sing. It's why we get into it. And it's why we sing and worship, not just on the good days. It's why we sing on the bad days, because he was dead, and now he is alive. And if we are in Christ, then his future is our future, right? So no matter what comes our way, whether it's bad days or bad breaks or hard times or tragic circumstances, or even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear for we know who walks with us and resurrection is right around the corner. It is the fuel of our worship. But if you're a Jesus follower, this is also the thing that lights a fire under our mission. Our mission at East Cobb Church is to love where we live. <laughs> but guys, we're not reaching out to our community simply with you know, a, a teaching or a feeling or a philosophy. We're reaching out to our community with a report that God took on flesh and died to forgive our sins and he rose from the dead so that we can too. And I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. That's the fire of our mission. But hey, I also wanna talk as we're closing here. And I just also wanna talk to the persons on the field that maybe you're where I was at one point in my life and you're wrestling or you're unsure or you're certain that you're not, you know, in with Jesus and who he is and following him. And I just want to tell you that I get it. I get it. And I know, like from personal experience, I know you have great questions and compelling reasons for exactly where you are. And all I want to humbly suggest to you today that this the resurrection, that's where you need to focus your attention. That's what you need to hone in on. If I could suggest this, 
That's what you need to give the most weight, where you need to give your best investigation. It's the resurrection. Not did Jonah get really swallowed by the whale or did God, you know, create the world in six, seven literal days or not. Not, um, you know, which denomination is right and what about Christians that do horrible things? I mean, those are all fine questions, but it's not the main question. The question that you should give your best focus and investigation is this one right here, the resurrection. The central question I would encourage you to answer is did Jesus rise from the dead. If he did, then all bets are off. If he did, then all arguments are irrelevant. If he did, then all objections are rendered moot. Because if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then y'all, he really is who he said he was. He really is the son of God. He really is the savior of the world. He really does know everything about this life and the one to come. And he really can forgive your sins and give you eternal life. But not only that, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, what he taught is also true. Like it's also true then that he, God really does love you. God really has forgiven you. God really did create you on purpose. God really does have a plan for you. God really does know the best way to live and the best way to treat people. God really is preparing a place for you in heaven. And he really is inviting you to participate in everything that he's doing in the world. Like that's really true if Jesus rose from the dead. So if I could, I just wanted to humbly submit to you. That's the question. Something made the disciples and the women and all the other people turn around from Saturday to Sunday and come running back. Something made them turn around. And it was that same something that made me turn around and follow Jesus again. And maybe, just maybe, that same something well, you will find compelling and might make you turn around as well. So that, my friends, that's the Easter story for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be lost, but may find everlasting life. Jesus died so that we could live, and his resurrection proved that he was who he said he was, our savior, our peace with God, our king. And our king is inviting us to believe and he's inviting us to follow. So let's follow. Let's follow because after all, no other king would kneel to wash our feet. No other king would prepare a table for his enemies. No other king would lay down his glory for the least of these. No other king would touch a leper's skin, open his arms to let the outcast in, respond with mercy in the face of our sin. No other king would stand the mockery, be led to slaughter and refuse to speak, take up a cross and choose to die with Thebes, take up a cross and give his life for you and me. Jesus is a king like no other king. And that's the Easter story. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending King Jesus. And thanks for sending us a king who hadn't come to ask his subjects to die for him, but who had come to lay down his life for his subjects. Thank you for putting evidence in history that you're really there and you really love us and you really have a plan for us that you haven't forgotten about us and that you loved us so much that you moved heaven and earth and spilled your own blood to forgive our sins and to offer us eternal life. Wherever we are, God, I pray that you just give us a clear vision of you, who you really are, that we too may believe and maybe too we may follow our King of Kings. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.